And here we go, everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Wednesday, May 17th, 2017. Broadcasting from the studios of downtown Brooklyn. Beautiful day out there today. Big show to get to. We've got baseball. The Mets continue their free fall. And this is not all that surprising, frankly. We'll get into the issues behind the Metropolitans, take a look around the rest of Major League Baseball, some surprising teams, both on the positive and negative side. Yankees on the positive, Cubs, Giants, negative. We'll get into the NBA. Celtics beat the Wizards in Game 7. We'll break that down a little bit. Talk a little bit about the Warriors and Spurs. But it seems... For all the world, like we're headed back for another rematch of the Cavaliers and the Warriors in the finals. And talk a little bit about the NBA lottery, which took place last night. But we start with the Mets and the disaster, the dumpster fire that is the team, the organization, the general manager, the manager. Now, I understand no Syndergaard's hurt. Their best pitcher. I understand Yohan Assessment is hurt, their best player. And I understand that Jairus Familia, their closer, is hurt. All three guys are on the DL. And that's a lot to overcome. I get it. However, we went through this last week, but it bears repeating. The Syndergaard thing may have been avoided. I don't know if it definitely would have been avoided, but could have been avoided had the Mets been an actual major league organization. You don't let the players tell you what they're going to do when it comes to medical stuff. You're the adults. You're the organization. The players work for you. If Syndergaard didn't want to get the damn MRI, then you tell him he's going on the DL and let them then file a grievance with the Players Association, okay? Sandy Alderson with an idiotic line. Oh, I can't tie him down and put him in the MRI tube. Well, of course not, you dope. But you're the general manager. Be the grown-up. Of course Syndergaard doesn't want to get an MRI and he thinks he's invincible. He's 6'5", 250 pounds, you know, chiseled out of marble. He thinks he's invincible, of course. That's why you're the adult. Same thing with Cespedes. I've been saying this forever with this idiotic team. Err on the side of caution. The second he felt the pop in his hamstring, he should have been shut down and put on the DL. And given him proper time to heal. But instead, nope, the Mets half-assed it, gave him a few days off, put him back out there, and then now the hamstring's worse. He's been out for six weeks. So it likely could have been a short DL stint and he would have been back playing by now. Now he's probably at least another 10 games, 10 days away and he's going to be out for what, about six weeks? It's ridiculous. The familiar thing, you know, look, that seems like a fluke. Right? He had a blood clot in his arm, had to have surgery. That, that, That part's a fluke. But, you know, listen, again, I get it, but this woe is me nonsense as if there's no cause and effect. The way you treat injuries and then what ends up happening as if there's no cause and effect. 
You throw your hands up. Oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? And they just did it again with Esdrubal Cabrera. As I predicted last week, they dicked around for a week, 10 days, and then finally, oh, guess what? Then they played shorthanded, which they love to do, for three games. And there was a couple other games where he was only available as a pinch hitter. And guess what? Oh, the thumb acted up again on him, and now they finally last night decided to put him on the DL, which they should have done 10 days ago. It's amazing how I know what they should do, yet these guys who get paid for a living to make these decisions don't know what to do. It's incredible. And of course, rather than call up their stud shortstop prospect, Ahmed Rosario, I have to hear from John Rico, the assistant GM, because Sandy, I guess, is too busy. Oh, he's not ready. Oh, yeah, he's not ready. He's hitting 365 at AAA. I get it. I, I understand it. It's the Pacific Coast League. It's Las Vegas. The numbers are somewhat slightly inflated. I understand that. But all the numbers are good. His OPS is in the 900s. He's got 11 doubles, two triples, three home runs, leads the team in RBIs. He's got eight stolen bases. I mean, he would inject some much-needed speed, athleticism, and life into this otherwise bunch of lumbering lummoxes beer league softball team that Sandy Alderson has assembled. But no, he's not ready. Listen, don't, don't, you know what? It's the old uh, John Vernon line in the Outlaw Josie Wills. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining, okay? We all know why you're not calling up Ahmed Rosario. And it's because you don't want to activate his Super 2 status and then therefore he's eligible to become a free agent earlier. Don't tell, don't tell us he's not ready. We're not idiots. We had the ridiculous weekend series in, in Milwaukee. Can't hold a 7-1 lead on Sunday. Had runners picked off second base in back-to-back games. Picked off second base in back-to-back games. Conforto leads off the game on Saturday. Uh, uh, Jay Bruce got picked off second base Saturday night to end the inning. To, to, to snuff out a potential big rally. I mean, sorry, Friday night. Conforto leads off the game on Saturday with a double gets picked off second base. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Back-to-back games, runners getting picked off second base. We also had Kevin Ploiecki, runners on second and third Saturday night. In that same game, on a ground ball to second base with the infield back, and the run scores not moving over to third base. With no outs. I mean, the base running or lack thereof on this team is a joke. And then on Sunday, you had Neil Walker, who's on third base, when the Brewers turned a double play. But had he run hard from third to home, would have scored the run before the third out was recorded. But he decides to Cadillac it the last 10 feet. Neil Walker! Mr. Veteran! who also got doubled off second base the week before because he forgot how many outs there were. This is the veteran leadership on the Mets, ladies and gentlemen. I just gave you five base running errors. 
or mistakes. No. We had the Reyes, Walker in the same game. Bruce picked off second. Conforto picked off second. Plawecki not going second to third on a ground ball to second base. And Walker not running hard from third to home, costing the Mets a run. That's six base running errors in about two weeks. That's too many for a season. And this nonsense has been going on ever since Terry Collins has been here. And I don't want to hear it. All the injuries. This has nothing to do with injuries. This is the fact that this guy, Terry Collins, has not ever established any accountability for mental mistakes on this team since the second he showed up here. Because he's just happy to have a job. Because no one else would have hired this clown. And he's completely overcompensating for the fact that he was known as a pain in the neck when he managed both the Angels and the Astros. And basically, you know, was forced out of Anaheim by Mo Vaughn and a bunch of the other players in, you know, a player uprising, essentially. You know, but that's also 17 years ago or 15 years ago, however long ago that was. And I get that the players like him now. That's great. You know, how about establishing some accountability in the clubhouse there, Terry? I mean, the base running mistakes are, le- they're, they're, they're legion. It's ridiculous. This is stuff that a freshman baseball team shouldn't be doing. These mistakes are absurd. And again, the fact that the bullpen is now dumpster fire. Well, why do you think that is? Maybe because the manager has overworked these guys from the first game of the season on. It's ridiculous. And now they're completely imploded. And that game Sunday, I mean, that was, that was just embarrassing. And I'm sorry. I understand the bullpen came in and blew that game. Mets had a 7-1 lead. Jacob DeGrom, you're supposedly the ace of the staff now. You got to go through, you got to get me seven innings there. One, two runs. But no, he can't. Can't even get through six. Or no, got through six. He tried to go into the seventh inning. Gave him a two-run homer on a, on a two-strike pitch to uh, Byron Buxton. Light-hitting center fielder for the Brewers to make the game... 7-3. Tried to come out for the 7th. Gave him a leadoff hit. Terry pulled him. And then all hell broke loose. Blevins comes in gets a two-run homer. Robles comes in with the bases loaded. No, that was the night before. Yeah. So Robles, Hansel Robles, Mets reliever, who is the little girl with the curl. You know, when he's good, he's really good. When he's bad, he's really bad. The numbers on him this year are stark. When he comes in with runners on base, he's a disaster. When he starts an inning clean. When he starts an inning, he's been great. So what does Terry Collins do? Brings him in with the bases loaded and uh, with, with the Mets clinging to a one-run lead Saturday night. Earlier in the year, came in the same situation, bases loaded, game against the Phillies, first pitch, grand slam. Game against the Brewers Saturday night, first pitch, rocket shot off the wall, scoring three. Or no, two. I mean, it's ridiculous. All these decisions Terry Collins makes are, it's amazing how pretty much every single one of them is wrong. Takes a, It's like, if he takes his pitcher out, it's too early, or if he leaves him in, he leaves him in too long. Whatever reliever he brings in, it's the wrong decision. It, it, it's a disaster. But again, my big issue with him 
is the fact that the Mets are a joke when it comes to fundamentals, an absolute joke. And I understand that that's kind of a theme around Major League Baseball now. I mean, the base running kind of across the board is really bad. Although Arizona, the Diamondbacks, pay special attention to it. Imagine that. And they hold each other accountable and they give like pluses and demerits for good base running plays and bad base running plays. They actually pay attention. You think anybody in the Mets pays attention to any of this stuff? Oh, and supposedly Collins told Neil Walker, oh, you know, that, that you, you, you got to score on that. Gr- great, Terry. Thanks. Yeah, you think? You dope. But, I mean, this has been going on, again, since the day Terry Collins arrived. A hallmark of a Terry Collins-led team is terrible base running and fundamentals. We saw it again last night. Mets botched the rundown, and Lucas Duda, you know, little 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 World Series 2.0 with a horrendous throw home when a good throw has to get runner out at the plate. And, oh, Mets lost by a run last night. Shocker. And while we're on the subject, I mean, can we just turn the page already on Lucas Duda? Please. I mean, the, the Mets have some concept or idea that this guy is some, you know, feared slugging hitter. First of all, he's the most fragile 6'5", 250-pound man I've ever seen in my life. He's always hurt. And I, I'm not criticizing him. I'm not saying he's soft or anything like that. Don't misinterpret. But he's just always hurt. I mean, the guy just has terrible luck. It's like Travis Darno. guy's always hurt. But when he does play, he's not that good. You know, two, you know, they'll tell, oh, two years ago, he had 27 home runs. Yeah, he had 27 home runs. 18, I think, of those home runs were hit over the course of like eight games because he had two, three home run games, a couple of two home run games. And the rest of the time, it gives you nothing. You just move on from this guy already. He's 31 years old. The light's not coming on anymore, okay? And if it does click, if he turns somehow into Daniel Murphy, where a guy whose career... Season His average season for his career was 287, 10 home runs, and 64 RBIs. Then all of a sudden last year he hit 340 with 25 and 100, and it looks like he's going to do the same thing again at the age of 30. Uh, you know what? So be it. That, that I was wrong about Murphy, and I admit it, and I'll be wrong about it. I'll be happy to admit it. But enough already with this guy. He's not a winning player. Move on. But, you know, the Mets can, can moan and groan and whine and say, woe is me, all they want about the bullpen. We talk about it on the show constantly the fickle nature of bullpens in Major League Baseball. Other than, you know, a handful of the elite eighth inning and closers that are out there, and the Mets have one in Familia, and they had an eighth inning guy who was elite last year in Addison Reed, who was a former closer, but he's, again, he's one of these guys. Had a couple good years, then had some bad years. That's why the Mets were able to get him, because he was stinking up the joint for Arizona after he'd come off a good year. And he was good when they got him down the stretch, and he was great last year. But to expect him to have the same level of success he had last year, this year, was, was foolish. Now, I'm not saying you get rid of him, but you bring in reinforcements. And all Sandy Alderson did was bring back the same guys from last year, Blevins and Salas. Now, Blevins has proven to be a pretty effective lefty specialist. Salas gave them some some nice innings late in the year last year. But again, the reason the Mets were able to get him is because he was stinking up the joint for the A's. And we see this all the time. Guys, good one year stinks the next. 
You got to get creative. There's zero creativity from Sandy Alderson with the bullpen. Zero. They didn't bring in one new arm, not one, in the offseason. And we're going to act surprised. The bullpen's a disaster. Plus, you, again, you add the fact that you have a manager who has no idea how to manage a bullpen at all and overwork these guys ridiculously. We're not even, we're, we're only halfway through May. Yeah, Blevins was, you know, on pace for 90 appearances. Salas was on pace for like 80 appearances. I mean, it's ridiculous. Plus, the Mets knew they were going to not have familiar for probably at least what they had, which was the first 15 games of the year. Then you figure it's probably reasonable to expect him to have a little rust when he comes back. It's not going to be in midseason form. And what was the, what was the Mets' answer to, to account for that? Nothing. Oh, we'll just move Addison Reed into the closer role and everybody else will, will take a step up. Ridiculous. And especially if you knew you were going to baby the starting staff and not let guys throw more than 100 pitches for the first month or so of the season, then all the more reason to address the bullpen in the offseason, which Sandy Alderson, again, neglected completely, completely ignored it. So they can use the injuries all they want as an excuse but there's a lot more to, to meets the eye here than just the injuries. Again, sloppy baseball constantly, worst fundamental team, base running is a joke, fielding stinks. It's a bunch of slow, slow unathletic lumberers on the whole team. I mean, look, as Drupal Cabrera talked about him a million times, he's got great hands. He pretty although this year he's been actually wretched in the field. Him too the other day. Boots a routine ground ball on Saturday. And then compounds it by throwing to first base when he had no play and then made a terrible throw and gives the hands the, the, the Brewers an extra base. And of course, that run ended up scoring with two outs. I mean, these are the kinds of things that should not happen. This is a veteran team. Mental errors. Okay, boots a ground ball. You don't love it, especially since he has no range. He's got to make you know all the routine plays. But okay, that happens. But then you don't compound it with a mental error by idiotically throwing to first base when you had no play. But I mean, you're getting no range out of your second baseman, Neil Walker. I mean, he didn't have any range to begin with and he had offseason back surgery. So he's basically a statue over there. Lucas Duda didn't have any range and stinks. He's okay scooping balls in the dirt. That's about it. Jose Reyes isn't really a third baseman. TJ Rivera is not really a third baseman. Curtis Granderson can't play center field anymore. He has no range and can't throw. Jay Bruce is a disaster in right field. Can't get to anything. And you have Conforto, who's a pretty decent left fielder. And I understand when Cespedes comes back, he's a former gold glove winner in left field. Conforto will move to center. Not the ideal spot for him either, by the way. Oh, and here's the other thing with this idiot Terry Collins. He finally puts Conforto in the three-hole on Sunday. Now, listen, I understand Conforto was doing well as a leadoff hitter, but that's, that's not his ideal spot in the lineup. He's middle, in an ideal world, he hits third and Cespedes hits fourth. So he puts him into the, moves him into the three-hole because he rested the great Jay Bruce, who is nobody's idea of a third-place hitter, by the way. On a, the be, at best, Jay Bruce is a sixth-place hitter on a good team in a good lineup. At best. And Terry Collins has this guy hitting third. Classic Collins, because he's a veteran, and he had you know five good games there in a row, so now he's, gonna, he's our third hitter now. 
but he rested him on Sunday, so he put Conforto in the, in the third spot in the, in the lineup. And what did Conforto, all, all he did was fall a single shy of the cycle, score four runs, drove in four. And what does genius Terry do on Monday when they go into Arizona? Puts him right back in the, in the leadoff spot, puts Bruce right back in the third hole, and of course the Mets scored one run. And he did it again last night, and, and, and Conforto went 0 for 4 again. That's two 0 back to back. I mean, this guy has no... It's like he has zero finger on the pulse. He has no idea what his players' strengths and weaknesses are. All right. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with a look around the majors right after this. here on Jamal About Sports. Taking us out of the break was Joe Jackson, Another World, from the Night and Day album. And I was remiss, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, star of the show was Kinky Afro by the Happy Mondays. All right, we'll take a look around Major League Baseball. So some, some teams ought to see surprisingly good starts, like the Yankees, although I kind of predicted that. I thought they'd be better than people gave them credit for. Although, flip side of that coin is, enjoy it now, Yankees fans, because your swoon is coming. They're 23 and 13. They're getting major production out of people they did not expect to get major production out of, like Aaron Hicks, for one. Uh, Chase Headley's off to a good... I mean, pretty much everybody in the Yankees is off to a good start. Aaron Judge has been a revelation. His 5 for 40 stretch is coming soon, though. Uh, they pitched better than people thought, but now Chapman's on the DL, their closer. And I know Batances can probably fit into that role okay. Setup guys, Tyler Clippert has been surprisingly good. You know, Chasen Shreve, who, you know, is good one year, bad the next. He's having a good stretch right now, the lefty. You know, Tanaka, for the most, he was bad on Sunday night, and he was bad in the opener, but for the, other than that, on opening day he was bad, but other than that he's been very good. And he's a good pitcher. I mean, you expect him to be good. Sabathia has been very up and down. He got off to a great start, then he was bad. He had a good start last night against the Royals, although, I mean, the Royals one of the worst lineups in baseball. They've been awful. They've scored, I think, the fewest runs of any team in in the American League. And most of their guys are free agents. Moustakis, Sal Perez, Hosmer, Lorenzo Cain. If the Royals don't make a run here and turn it around, they're going to be having a fire sale probably. And I don't know if they'll wait to the deadline because it probably could get even more bang for their buck as far as trades are concerned. Because those, those are all good players that, that could help a lot of teams, including the Mets. But probably going to be too late for the Mets anyway. I mean, they, they're six games under five hundred, pretty much already out of the division race somehow in the middle of May. Anyway, so the Yankees off to a surprisingly good start. Orioles right there, 23-14. and 14. Look, the, the thing about the Orioles, do they have enough pitching? You know, Zach Britton being on the DL kills them. They're, they're excellent closer. Guys should have won the Cy Young last year. Um, the encouraging thing, I think, is up until, except up until recently, Manny Machado really hadn't hit. Now, he got hot in that Red Sox series a couple of weeks ago. 
But the Orioles lineup is is very very good. And you know what they do, which the, which the Mets don't. They 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 make every play. They field. They're an excellent fielding team. I just worry about their pitching. Red Sox have have, have disappointed at twenty and and twenty and eighteen. David Price hasn't pitched for them yet. Um, Chris Sale's been great. Other than that, the rest of the rotation has not been that great. Um, they've had some injuries to deal with as well. But, you know, I suspect a hot streak is coming out of the Red Sox at some point. And the Blue Jays have been very disappointing. Um, but, you know, no Josh Donaldson. He's been out. Their pitching has not been great. They lost Encarnacion. Joey Bats has been off, is off to a miserable start. He's gotten a little bit better lately, but I think he's still hitting under 200. Um, they just haven't hit. I mean, the Blue Jays went from being one of the best lineups in baseball to now, you know, a diminished Batista, no Encarnacion, and no Donaldson. It's a completely different lineup. In the Central, the Twins have been surprising at 19-16. and 16. Irvin Santana has had a phenomenal start to the season. Starting pitcher, I believe his ERA was under one for a while. I think he got knocked around uh, two starts ago, but came back and had a good start. His next, his most recent start. They're three games over in first place. The Indians at twenty and eighteen. I mean, the Indians look to be the class of that division, but their starting pitching has been underwhelming also, which was thought to be a strength of the team, just like the Mets. The Mets starters had the worst ERA in baseball. Obviously, injuries has plays a role in that. And then in the West, you've got the Astros off to a phenomenal start at 28-12. Dallas Keuchel, who was great two years ago, lousy last year, is off to a phenomenal start this year. Uh, they've got you know some very good young position players, most notably Carlos Correa, the shortstop. You know, Altuve, second base. Uh, George Springer in the outfield. I mean, it, it, that's a good team. They picked up Beltron and Brian McCann, some good better leadership. And both those guys can still hit a little bit. Uh, and the rest of that division is kind of junky. I mean, the, the Angels are 500. Rangers are 500. Mariners Mariners are a mess. I mean, their whole starting staff basically is on the DL. King Felix is on the DL. Paxton's on the DL. Uh, Iwakama's on the DL. I mean, three of their starting five pitchers are on the DL. It's a disaster. And the A's, you know, who knows what the A's are doing. They, they're basically there for people to trade with when they need pieces late in the year. And then National League East, you know, the Nationals, despite having one of the worst bullpens in baseball, you know, Fat Albers is, 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 is closing games for them because Blake Trinan can't get anybody out and neither can the great Sean Kelly... But somehow they're still 25-13 and because they hit and they've got good starting pitching. <clears throat> so they've blown a bunch of saves already this year. And uh, yet it hasn't really bothered them. Because they play the, 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 the genius schedule makers in Major League Baseball basically said, the National League East is only going to play each other the first month of the season. And the rest of the division stinks, including the Mets. So that's why the Nationals are 25-13, and 13, despite having one of the worst bullpens in baseball. And then they're in the Mets at 16 and 22, and the rest of the division is a horror show. The Braves are 15 and 21. The Phillies are 14 and 22. The Marlins are 14 and 24. I mean, awful. Just awful. And the Cardinals, after a slow start, of course, doing what the Cardinals do. Now they're 21 and 16. The Brewers are surprisingly 22 and 18, although, you know, they just swept the Mets, so. 
And the Cubs, somewhat disappointing at 19 and 19. Their starting pitching has been somewhat disappointing. Jake Arrieta is off to a very poor start. And they haven't hit the way they thought they'd hit so far. But they're still, you know, they're fine. And I think the Cubs will be fine. As long as they get their starting pitching straightened out, they'll be fine. You know, picking up um, uh, Wade Davis, the closer from the Royals, was very smart. See, they, they actually added bullpen arms. And they won the World Series. I'm like, the Mets thought they, 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 they won something last year because they made the play-in game. So why would we change a roster that won 88 games? We're so great. Why would we make any changes? <coughs> Except somehow the Cubs, who won the World Series, they actually made changes and upgrades to the bullpen. It's amazing how that works. So I think they'll be fine. The Reds are surprisingly a 500 team, although they have no pitching at all. And the Pirates are very disappointing at 16 and 23. But they've had a ton of injuries. They have Marte got suspended for PEDs. Um, you know, uh, Andrew McCutcheon looks to you know he's not even resembling the former MVP candidate that he was a couple of years ago. Gregory Polanco hasn't hit the way they thought. He hasn't taken that next step yet. Um, they 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 they're having major problems. And then out in the West, you've got the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, two, two teams I barely acknowledge as franchises, by the way. Uh, I mean, the Diamondbacks, and, until you actually put on a real uh, Major League uniform, I will not acknowledge you as a Major League team. That's it. I, I will not. You could go, go win the World Series. I don't care. I will not recognize it. Those are the most ridiculous. I don't even know what those are supposed to be, those uniforms the Diamondbacks wear. I mean, they don't resemble anything like a baseball uniform. I, I don't even know what that is. The Dodgers are 22 and 18. You know, they were considered to be the favorites. The Giants are seven games under 500, and they've won five games in a row. And the Padres, you know, are the Padres. By the way, the Padres are another franchise they barely acknowledge as being part of uh, Major League Baseball. So there's your look at the Major Leagues. Obviously, ton of season left. And as bleak as things look for the Mets, if they... You know, look, they, they have what looks to be a fairly easy schedule coming up, and they could be getting Cespedes back next week. You know, Matt Harvey pitches this afternoon. That's it's a big start for him. He needs to get his act together. You know, if Harvey, listen, it's probably unreasonable to expect Harvey to be the, the, you know, the, the ace dominant Matt Harvey that he was a couple of years ago. Right, he's had two major surgeries in three years. However, if he can be, you know, a good, solid number two, number three type starter, Degrom, Harvey, you know, maybe they're going to get Max back in about a month. You know, then you can start. You know, you can start stringing some stuff together. I mean, the Mets had won three series in a row. Of course, they had a chance to sweep all three and had, you know, some disaster happen. They had a chance to sweep the Marlins and you had the Harvey getting suspended thing. Then they had a chance to sweep the Giants. They had Familia blows the save uh, after Wilmer Flores boots a, a game-ending double play. And then Familia, it's found out the next day, he's got to get this blood clot surgery. So he's, you know, out for an extended period of time. Although they got a little bit of good news there is that he's supposedly going to be able to start throwing in about six weeks. Um... 
So, I mean, the Mets, prior to this horrendous road trip where they're in danger of going 0-4 if they don't win today, you know, had put it together a little bit. They were hanging around 500. If the Mets can just get to around 500 by the All-Star break, and if they can, if they get healthy, they can make they they can make a run. I know. Again, the Nationals that a bad bullpen is going to come back and bite you at some point. It's going to, because they're going to go through. You would think they're going to go through a cold spell with the bats, and so they're not going to be able to just bludgeon teams, you know, ten to four every night. All right, moving on. NBA. So last night you had, or two nights ago rather, Celtics Wizards game seven in Boston. Teams had played, I think, what was it, eleven times. The home team, you know, including the playoffs and regular season, home team had won every game. Wizards got off to a good start, had a lead at halftime, and then two things happened. John Wall went right in the tank when the Wizards needed him the most. O for eleven to finish the game. Didn't make a basket. 0 for 11. He was awful. 8 for 24, I believe. 8 for 23 from the field. Bradley Beal, his backcourt mate, had a phenomenal game, 38 points. But John Wall was nowhere to be found. He was atrocious down the stretch. And then someone named Kelly Olynyk. You know, he's a decent bench player for the Celtics. Had the game of his life at 26 points off the bench. You know, Thomas... Had a good game for the Celtics. Didn't shoot it great, 9 for 21. But, you know, he still finished with 20-plus points and 9 assists. And to his credit, a lot of those baskets that Kelly Olynyk got were a result of Thomas feeding him the ball when he was getting double-teamed or trapped. And Olynyk had wide-open threes and uh, bad strategy by Scott Brooks, Wizards coach, putting Ian Mahimi out there. Tahini sauce did not get it done. Bad matchup. Because he's really only a low post defender, and Olenek can kind of play on the perimeter, and he torched him. And Jason Smith would have been the better, uh, in my opinion, the better choice there to match up with Olenek. Um, and so now the Celtics have the get the right to go get blasted by the Cavaliers. <laughs> they play tonight. Look, they they may get this first game because the Cavaliers haven't played in about a month, it seems. <laughs> so they may be a little bit rusty. And you saw it in the Golden State-San Antonio game one, which San Antonio was crushing the Warriors until uh, Kawhi Leonard went out of the game with an ankle injury, re-injured that ankle that he'd hurt in the Houston series on a, on a pretty chippy, uh, chippy at best, dirty at worst play by Jaja Pachulia, the set backup center for the Warriors, who has kind of a history of being that kind of a player. He's kind of the NBA's equivalent to what a hockey goon is. You know, he's kind of in there to just kind of bang bodies, instigate, you know, kind of get under the other team's skin. And he certainly did it against the Spurs. That changed everything. Spurs were rolling to a game one upset in Golden State. Uh, Kawhi Leonard goes out of the game and, you know, Curry goes on on a flurry of, of threes in the fourth quarter and they ended up winning by two. And then last night was, you know, and now, now Leonard is out for, you know, probably, I don't know if he's going to be back for, for game three in San Antonio, but he was out for last night's game and they got absolutely pasted by the Warriors. It was embarrassing. And Popovich said as much, by the way. 
But we'll get back. So Celtics Wizards. Now the Celtics go. You know they, they may have a chance to get that game tonight. Although they expended a lot of energy, obviously went Game Seven. You know most of those games were close, and we talked about it. I mean the Wizards had big leads in a lot of those games, particularly in games one and two, and blew them. You know, problem, I mean, just look at it. Wizards got five points from their bench the other night. Five points. Five points from the whole bench. Well, I, I was saying this two months ago. Wizards had a very good starting five. They needed bench reinforcements. I thought they got it in Boyan Bogdanovich and Brandon Jennings. I was wrong. Bogdanovich had a very quiet series against the Celtics, and Brandon Jennings was a horror show. He did nothing. So, uh, the Wizards are a good team. They need to bolster that bench big time this offseason. And, you know, look, the Celtics are, are a nice team. They're a good team. Avery Bradley, one of the most improved players in the whole NBA. Guy couldn't shoot a lick when he came into the league. Now he's a very capable three-point shooter. Good finisher around the rim, and he's an excellent defender. He's a very good player. I think highly underrated, frankly. He's exactly the kind of player the Knicks need. Two-way player like that. Knicks don't have anybody like that. And, you know, Al Horford's okay, way overpaid. He's not. He's okay for what the Celtics want to do. He's kind of an undersized big man, shoots threes. One of the uglier shots you'll see in the league. Hideous. But he makes them. He's fairly effective. And obviously they've got a great player in Isaiah Thomas. You know, Marcus Smart's a good bench guy for them. Can't really shoot a lick, but, uh, you know, a lot of intangibles and he hustles and keeps balls alive and plays good defense. And they're a good team. Brad Stevens is a good coach. But their big weakness is on the boards. And as I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, you know, Tristan Thompson, power forward for the Cavaliers, center for the Cavaliers, that's a specialty. He's a great offensive rebounder, and Kevin, Lo- Kevin Love's good at it, too. So, I mean, I, I, I would say probably Cavs in five. And I know I've been saying, you know, listen, discount the Spurs at your own peril. Uh, after last night's debacle, and with no Kawhi Leonard, I just don't, I don't see it. I mean, maybe, you know, the, 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 they've got pride. Their pedigree as an organization. Maybe they find a way to get a game in San Antonio, but not shocked if they got swept. And it's a shame, because if they had Kawhi Leonard, I think it's a different series. I don't think they'd have enough juice to, to win, but could have, maybe it would have been a six-game series, and at least pushed Golden State, who, by the way, I understand their style of play is exciting to watch and is, is, is pleasing to the eye. They move the ball beautifully. You know, Curry, you know, bombs 30-foot threes like it's going, you know, like, it, like it's nobody's business. You know, Clay Thompson's a great shooter. You know, they share the ball. They are an impossible team to root for, in my humble opinion. Impossible. You start out with the LeVar Ball of the NBA, Draymond Green. I mean, this guy is about as unself-aware. He's like Michael Scott on The Office. I mean, this guy's got the biggest mouth. All he does is yap, 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 yap. He's on podcasts. He's on this. He's on that. He guy's a clown. Good player. Very good player. But boy, does he never shut up. And he had the nerve. He was like criticizing the Cavaliers. Cavaliers don't play anybody in the playoffs. Uh, I'm sorry. Who who do you guys play exactly? Portland? 500 Portland who just squeaked in to the eighth seed? Really? 
So Draymond Green is on, and he's another dirty player, also by the way. Big mouth complainer, moaner and groaner, and a dirty player. Steph Curry, listen, great player, no question. Uh, I find his on-court attitude to be irritating. He likes to show people up. He likes to preen and pose and style and profile. And that little act with his mouth guard where sometimes it's in, sometimes it's out, he chews on it. It's funny. I don't ever remember Charles Oakley or Patrick Ewing or John Starks needing to wear mouth guards. You know, it's not like he's a power forward. He's down there banging with the big... He's a, he's a guard. So either wear the mouth guard or don't wear the mouth guard. Enough of the little pacifier routine. Well, he irritates me. <laughs> and then, you know, you got this whole Zsa Pachulia thing where, you know, the play was Kawhi Leonard shot a jump shot. Pachulia came to close out. And then when Kawhi Leonard was landing... It looked like Pachulia kind of put his foot under the landing spot, which, by the way, you're not supposed to do. That's supposed to be called a foul. you got to give the player room to come down, and he didn't. And Leonard came down on his foot and twisted the ankle, which was already hurt to begin with. And he was off to an amazing way. I think he had 20, 20-something points, I think eight rebounds and five assists in like 20-something minutes. And the Spurs were up 20 in that game. And then, and then it all, you know, then the wheels fell off. Understandably. And by the way, this is why Greg Popovich is the best, okay? Because they got blasted last night, right? 136-100, I mean, it was an embarrassment. The game was a blowout from the start, okay? The score after one quarter was 33-16. They were up 72 to 28, 30, 72, 44 at the half. I mean, it was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. It was never a game, never close. Total embarrassment. Blowout. So, does Popovich use the Kawhi Leonard injury as an excuse? Does he say, hey, you know what? We just, uh, you know, it's too much to ask? No. No. This is, this is what Popovich says. Let me get the quote here. The only way I can process this is it's not about X's and O's, rebounds, turnovers, anything like that. Kawhi being gone, I don't think as I watched, I don't think they believed. And you have to believe. I don't think it's a group they really did, which means probably a little bit of feeling sorry for themselves, psychologically, subconsciously, whatever psychobabble word you want to use. I don't think they started the game in the belief that it showed in the lack of edge, intensity, grunt, all that sort of thing. That was disappointing. I mean, you know, look, I, th- that's fine. I mean, th- that's perfectly reasonable. That's a perfectly reasonable assessment. You know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't crush his team. He told it like it was. be nice to see somebody around the Mets do that for once, by the way. And that's why the Spurs are the Spurs, because guess what? They hold people accountable. You know, lack of talent is one thing. Lack of effort is a whole other ballgame. So, you know, look. I get it. They're, they're outmanned. They were outmanned probably with Kawhi Leonard, and now they're really outmanned without him. But good for Popovich for, for, for stepping up and saying something. 
And then finally we get to the lottery where, I mean, boy, can the Knicks just not ever do anything right? I mean, they won that stupid last game of the year against the Sixers, which bumped them from the sixth slot in the lottery to having a coin flip with Minnesota to see who was going to be slotted six or seven. They lost the coin flip, of course. And then last night, with you know, they had an outside chance to move up into the top three percentage-wise, you know, the way that they do the lottery now. Not only did they not move up, they moved down one slot. <laughs> so it was probably likely they were going to stay at seven, and now they moved to eight. And you really wanted to be in the top five of this draft. Now, look, there are good players to be had if you have a team that knows what the hell it's doing. Phil Jackson has not proven that he knows what the hell he's doing. Although his drafting so far, limited sample size, Porzingis seems to be like it was a good pick. And getting Willie Hernan Gomez in the second round, definitely a good pick. Got to be fair. He's been a disaster. The Knicks are 80 and 166 since he's been here. His free agent signings have been disastrous. His trades have been disastrous. Everything else he's done, there's no, I mean, talk about no accountability. I mean, it's an embarrassment. The Knicks are a complete embarrassment as an organization. And he's the top dog. I mean, he takes no responsibility. Only only the good stuff is, is, is him and everything bad is, is, and anything bad is everybody else's fault. He's the worst kind of leader there is. The worst. I know he's written a million books on what a great leader he is. He's the worst. So, look, the Knicks have the eighth pick in the draft. I mean, look, Tony Parker was the last pick of the first round. Isaiah Thomas was the last pick of the second round. Draymond Green is going to go, probably go to the finals again. Second round pick. Manu, Gilo, G, Manu Ginobili was the second round pick. He's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, they're good players to be had. You just have to have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. And the problem, again, is that this stupid, idiotic, arcane, archaic, outdated, stale, whatever word you want to use, triangle, de-emphasizes the importance of point guards, and this actually happens to be a pretty point heavy, point guard heavy draft. And there's going to be a good one sitting there probably at eight, the kid from NC State, Dennis Smith. Now he's young, played one year as a freshman, but that's how it goes these days in college basketball. Kid I really like is Justin Jackson out of North Carolina. He's a senior, which I, I oh God forbid, six eight, lanky, probably needs to bulk up a little bit, but boy can he play defense, which the Knicks don't have anybody that plays any defense on that team. Can shoot the J, just a really good all around player. I don't know if eight's too high for him. It might be, but guess what? You know who'll get him? Like a team like the Spurs, somebody like that. You know, because they'll just look at what he can do. Not what he can't do. It's the old candy corollary. Cal Perry said this about Marcus Camby a million years ago. You know, look, if you want a guy who's going to be a, bra- a you know a brawler and a big physical player, that, that's not what Marcus Camby is. Marcus Camby's going to block shots. He's going to be a great help defender, and he'll get out on the break and, and dunk all day long. And he was right. And when the Knicks finally figured that out a million years ago. They made that unlikely run to the finals in the strike-shortened year. They had that great second unit with Spreewell and Candy, and they got out and ran all the time. Justin Jackson, I'm a big fan. So we'll see what the Knicks end up doing, but, I mean, they, they just kid. I mean, by the way, since this dopey lottery started, 
and which is to prevent teams from tanking, even though they tank anyway. The Sixers have basically made, uh, you know, been tanking for, for seven years now. <laughs> um, the Knicks have never moved up, other than when they got Patrick Ewing 35 years ago, however long ago that was. That's it, 32 years ago. I mean, they've never moved up. They've only moved down. They've never, ever increased their position in the lottery. Not once. For all you conspiracy theorists out there that think the league somehow wants the Knicks to do well. All right, that is it for today's show. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Peace out.